When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, everybody. Another edition. Week 11 edition. College football betting. I'm your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is ready for just a bananas slate of college football here on this coming Saturday. We got two top 10 matchups, Michigan, Penn State. We got Ole Miss, Georgia. We got two big ones in the Pac-12, by the way. USC at Oregon. Utah at Washington plus a lot of other good ones. LSU, Florida, Miami, Florida State, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, Alabama, on and on and on. Going to break it all down in a moment. Before we get started, a couple quick things. One, thank you guys and girls for your support of the College Football Betting Show as we hit the home stretch of another season. Um, just been awesome. Just been awesome. It's been fun. The support has been incredible. If you're not subscribed here, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, click that little subscribe button. Help your boy Torres out. Also should mention, by the way, over the last couple of months, I've mentioned it before, but the College Football Betting Podcast, along with all things Aaron Torres and Aaron Torres Media, we have partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the cool part. DraftKings has an incredible offer for first-time customers of the DraftKings Sportsbook who are listeners of this show. This is the offer. This is what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. You can bet $5, just bet $5 on any game. Doesn't matter. Uh, You know, group of five, power five, any game. Bet $5. You get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code TORS. It is that simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Pick a game. Bet $5. Get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code TORS. Let's get to the first big one, though, and it is Michigan at Penn State. Michigan is a four and a half point road favorite. The over-under set at 45 and a half. And by now, you don't need me to tell you everything that is going on off the field in the lead up to this game. And it is worth noting, as I record here, uh, there's been rumors and speculation that the Big Ten may make a decision on Jim Harbaugh, may suspend him, Michigan may appeal it. But as I'm recording, there is no news. And as I'm recording, Jim Harbaugh is expected to coach this game. Obviously, by the time many of you listen, that may have changed. But just want to put it out there in the ether so there is no confusion. But that said, Michigan, of course, uh, has been embroiled in scandal. But coming out of their bye last week, thought they looked pretty good against Purdue. You know you're rolling when you beat a team 41-13. to And people said, oh, you don't look as dominant as you used to. You must have been doing something wrong. They took care of business. They were in complete control. They were up 20 to nothing. And as I said on Monday's Aaron Torres pod, Purdue's points, three of them came when Michigan went for it on their own 34-yard line right before the half. Another touchdown came on the final possession of the game. And it was funny to see the public reaction to the game versus Jim Harbaugh's reaction at his Monday press conference. He threw out some stats that absolutely blew my mind in terms of how dominant Michigan was in that game. How about this for a couple stats? One, uh, Purdue had a grand total of one drive that went more than six plays. One drive that went more than six plays. I believe there were either six or seven three and outs in that game. And Purdue, like every single one of Michigan's opponents, has yet to run a play inside the 10-yard line against Michigan. This defense is dominant. What I do think is interesting, though, about this Michigan team specifically, the run game has not really gotten figured out all year. By the way, that's not a Connor Stallions thing. They weren't running the ball well when Connor Stallions was on the staff. They didn't run the ball well last week against Purdue. And it was something Jim Harbaugh talked about this week. He said, I remember meeting with you guys last year, and you guys told me, hey, are you going to be able to throw the ball when it matters with J.J. McCarthy? Now we're throwing the ball well, but we're not running it very well. So that is an interesting thing to think about as we enter this game, especially because they are playing by far the best defense that they have played all year in Penn State. Now, to be clear, Michigan actually has played a couple good defenses, Rutgers, Nebraska. We'll get to that in a minute. But credit to Penn State. You know, listen, we we know what happened two weeks ago against Ohio State, three weeks ago, really, at this point. But they bounced back nicely. 
And specifically, that offense has bounced back nicely, 30-plus points against Indiana. And then last week, 51 points against the uh, against the Maryland Terrapins on the road. So things are finally starting to really click at a high level. Drew Aller, how about this? 20 touchdowns and one interception for Drew Aller. Probably played his best game of his career. And that's to go with the elite defense that Penn State is playing. Listen, I, I could sit here all day and just rattle off stats, but I thought it was interesting on that Maryland game that I just referenced. Brock Heward, who was calling the game with Jason Benetti, they basically said, pick any single defensive category in America. Penn State is top 10 nationally. I think Brock said it's 20 plus categories that Penn State is top 10 nationally. Scoring defense, total defense, run defense, red zone defense, pass defense. So they are elite across the board. And it goes without saying, this is going to be the toughest test that Michigan has faced. With that said, though, as we move into the transition of making a pick for this game, I don't think I actually do like Michigan in this game. And I do think we have to, you know, we have to be careful with a couple of things. One, the, the, the counter stallion stuff goes without saying, right. But two, like I was thinking about this, everybody says, Oh, Michigan hasn't played anybody yet. And like, there's no doubt. This is the toughest environment that they'll have played in. This is the toughest team that they'll have played in. No doubt. But don't know. Don't tell me they haven't played anybody because they played Rutgers earlier this year. You're going to laugh. Well, what did Rutgers do against uh, Ohio state last week? Rutgers was up at halftime against Ohio state. Rutgers has a top 10 defense in the country. Michigan put up 31 points and that game wasn't close. Nebraska, top 10, uh, top 20 defense in America, elite rushing defense. That was actually the game that Michigan had its best performance against the, uh, on the ground with the run, 240, 49 yards rushing. And so I bring it up. Don't tell me they haven't played anybody. By the way, I would say outside of uh, Ohio State, Penn State has not played really elite competition this year either. Uh, I guess you could say Iowa's okay. I guess you could say West Virginia's okay. But I don't buy the notion that Penn State, that Michigan hasn't played anybody. And I would also say, well, I think everybody is focused on how does Penn, how does Michigan handle a step up in competition? Here's my thing that I don't think anybody's talking about. We saw Penn State against elite competition. It was not very good. Now I get it. Ohio State is elite defensively and Penn State played Ohio State on the road. So I get it. I get those that would say playing Ohio State at home or on the road is completely different than playing Michigan at home, especially in the middle of this scandal, especially with a lot of questions around this Michigan program. But we saw Penn State against an elite defense and it did not go well. Does anybody, am I the only one that remembers Drew Aller and that Penn State offense against Ohio State? It was really bad for people who have forgotten how bad it was. I'm going to pull up some stats for you that are, I don't know if they're going to blow your mind. It was really bad though. Remember that game for Drew Aller. He finished that game 18 of 42 passing for 191 yards passing. Penn State was one of 16 on third down against Ohio State. Again, I get it's different on the road. But at the same time, to me, we saw this team against an elite defense. Drew Aller is not an elite athlete playing quarterback. Very strong arm. Good arm. But you get him off script, you make him make plays with his feet, you get him uncomfortable out of the pocket, he struggled. I don't think Penn State has elite receivers. And so I look at this game, I still think the matchups favor Michigan. Better quarterback. Defenses are pretty equal. Penn State's run game is a little bit better, but they haven't really gotten it going either. And lastly, let me say this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit with Georgia here momentarily. Because one thing I give credit to Georgia to, they're a very resilient team. But I think Michigan might be one of the most resilient teams that I could ever remember, okay? And it was funny because in the preseason, I talked about this. Michigan in the preseason was my national championship pick. By the way, for Penn State fans, they're like, oh, you're just picking Michigan because you picked them to win the national championship. I should pick Penn State to go to the playoff as well. I picked Michigan to go 12-0, win the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten East, and I picked Penn State to go 11-1 and beat Ohio State. So, you know, in a perfect world, I'd love for all these teams to get in and make me look smart. But when I look at Michigan, I do think they're one of the more resilient teams I can remember because think about everything they've been through and think about what we talked about in the summer. When I picked them to win a national championship, remember, Jim Harbaugh was suspended the first three games of the year. And what I said at the time, I said, I don't think this is going to affect them at all because this team has been through more on the field, off the field adversity than anyone I can ever remember. 
Remember, it was two years ago, two off seasons ago, that Jim Harbaugh interviewed for the Minnesota Vikings job on the Nash on the day of National Signing Day. And I remember coming on the next offseason and saying, how can those guys trust Harbaugh and what are they going to do? And they're not going to be able to bounce back. And then what happened? They ran the table 13-0 and going into the college football playoff before they lost to TCU. So I bring it up because I look at this team and I do think it's just going to be business as usual for them. Harbaugh talked about blocking out distractions, focusing on football, and I think they're going to be able to. I'd also say this too. I do think sometimes... Teams take on the uh, personality of their head coach. We just talked about it with Harbaugh. Feels like all this stuff just kind of rolls off Harbaugh's shoulders. You know, you see him at the press conference on Monday. He's talking about Ric Flair. I'm having a good time. Happy to be here. So thrilled. Love football, blah, 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 this and that. And his team kind of takes on that. James Franklin's teams kind of take on his personality too. They played tight in big games. They played scared in big games. James Franklin in the past, certainly against Ohio State, I thought he coached scared in that big game. And so I look at this game and I look at James Franklin and I look at how he's handled things. When this story broke a week ago, James Franklin, I don't want to say he was whining, but he was more outspoken than most. Now this week he's kept it quiet. This week he hasn't given any bulletin board material, but last week it was, well, you know, I mean, sometimes you just think you're in a perfect play call and they have a perfect answer to it. And you sit there and wonder how did that all happen? Not calling him a whiner, but he's kind of a whiner. And when things go good, he's the best guy in the world. And when things go bad, it's whatever. And so I like Michigan to win this game. Do think it's low scoring. Do think having the better quarterback, the more experienced team on the road helps. Go ahead, give me Michigan. I'll say 24 to 10, just because I don't think Penn State's going to be able to move the ball. think the under is absolutely in play, but I am picking Michigan to win and cover on the road uh, again. As I record here, Jim Harbaugh will be coaching Michigan. We'll see if anything changes between now and kickoff. Let's keep it going, uh, and let's get to the other big game. And this one is a doozy. Ole Miss at Georgia, uh, Saturday night. So it's not even the SEC 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central time game. Saturday night, between the hedges, Georgia actually opened as a 12-point favorite. It's down to 11. Uh, The over-under set at 59.5. And And it was funny, I was thinking about this game. We just talked a minute ago about, you know, Torres's big thoughts in the preseason, right? And I picked Michigan to win the national championship. And I picked Michigan to win the national championship over Alabama. And everybody else pretty much had either Georgia winning it or at the very least in the playoff. And I said, I think Georgia gets tripped up somewhere. And the game that I had circled in my head was the Ole Miss game right before Tennessee late in the year. So it's amazing that we're here. And it's amazing that somehow there's even more at stake that I even could have imagined than any of us could have imagined uh, in the preseason. Georgia's obviously playing for a trip to Atlanta. It's worth noting, if they do not win this game, they are not guaranteed a spot in Atlanta, okay? Tennessee plays Missouri earlier in the day. If Tennessee beats Missouri, it means that it is essentially a winner-take-all Tennessee-Georgia game two, week, uh, uh, two weeks from now, a week, you know, not this coming Saturday, but the next one. If Tennessee beats uh, Missouri, and Georgia loses to Ole Miss, and then Georgia were to lose to Tennessee, and Tennessee beats Vanderbilt final week of the season. I know there's a lot on that, but it would be Tennessee going to the SEC championship game. So there's a lot at stake, and then obviously for Ole Miss, there's no secret, right? They they are sitting with one loss in the SEC. It is to Alabama. Uh, They certainly, they need to not only win this game, but they need help. Alabama has to either lose at Kentucky or at Auburn. The Kentucky Kentucky game will be done by the time this one kicks off. So Ole Miss has a lot at stake as well. Should be a fun game. Should be an exciting game. As I mentioned, the spread has already come down from 12 to 11. So a little bit of money coming in on Ole Miss early. In terms of this game, I think it's going to be a fun matchup. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, you know, we're kind of at the time of the year. We know these teams, you don't need me to, bro. Oh, this team does this well. And that, we kind of know Ole Miss is of course coming off that, that wild win over Texas A&M just feels like Lade Kiffin has Jimbo Fisher's number. And I give him credit because the defense did not play great, but they got the stops when they needed to, right? That big red zone pick that ended up going the other way for a touchdown was a 14 point swing. Texas A&M was about to take the lead. Instead, they intercepted a couple plays later. It's a touchdown. Uh, and obviously the late field goal, they they block it, which leads to the victory. So credit to Ole Miss. The, the, the defense and, and the special teams made plays when they had to. 
And that offense is fierce, man. That offense is fierce. They run the ball well with Ulysses Bentley, uh, with uh, obviously Quinshawn Judkins, Quinshawn Judkins, excuse me. And then that kid, Trey Harris, the wide receiver transfer. My goodness, was he unbelievable. Over 200 yards receiving a week ago. For Georgia, you know, for Georgia, it was kind of status quo, right? Um, Georgia, to me, they remind me of a boxer. It feels like early in the game, first half of a game, they're kind of feeling you out. They don't go for the knockout punch early. Ole Miss sometimes goes for the knockout punch early. Michigan goes for the knockout punch early. Uh, uh, You know, Oregon goes for the knockout punch early. Georgia's just kind of giving you that jab, giving you that jab, giving you that jab, bodying you up, making you feel, feeling you out, feeling you out, feeling you out. And all of a sudden you look up and it's close and it's early and it's this and it's that. And then they come out of the second half, they're prepared, they're disciplined, they're confident, and they make plays. And the Missouri game was basically the same. Now, last week was a little bit different. Luther Burden, Missouri's best skill position player, got hurt in the second half. But it was interesting to me, just another Georgia victory and kind of like what I said about Michigan. Give this team so much credit because they never get rattled. They've been in so many big games. They're so confident. You know, I think early in the year, I think there was a perception that they were sleepwalking early in games. I don't think they're sleepwalking. I think they're just, they're very confident about their ability to um, take your best shot early and withstand you over four quarters. What I will say as I turn my attention to this game, though, is we turn our attention. I think Georgia's got to be really careful with that here. Because again, Georgia is a team that in the first half of games, again, feels the opponent out. Not saying they're they're lazy, they're sloppy, they're this, they're that. But go back. They trailed South Carolina at the half. Auburn was tied at the half. Missouri last week was trailed at the half. They, they went ahead and, and won all three of those games. But probably their three biggest games so far in the SEC, you know, outside of Florida, trailed at the half and tied at the half in two of them. Can't do that against Ole Miss. One, you come out slow against Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin having a week to dial some stuff up. You know, Lane Kiffin, like any great offensive coach, his best stuff is going to come at you that first and second drive when everything's on script. You know, Georgia, I mean, Ole Miss could be up 14-3 if you you mess around and and goof off early. But then also, I think the second half, it's important because the second half, they're not going to let up. And they can keep scoring and they can keep piling it on. So this isn't South Carolina. This isn't Auburn where you're eventually going to wear them down. This is a different team with a different offensive skill set and a different ability, and you better be ready to play four quarters. Now, from the Ole Miss perspective, I have concerns as well, and it's specifically, believe it or not, it's the pass defense. Again, the parallels with Georgia and Michigan are kind of interesting now that I'm kind of talking it out. By the way, talking it out, these are two really fun games. But Georgia this year, again, I think we all think of Georgia as physical, run game, tough, mean, Kirby smart. And it's like, no, Carson Beck has been awesome. Carson Beck is their quarterback. They have the sixth-ranked pass offense in all of college football right now. And for people who thought that they were going to struggle in the post-Brock Bowers world, Carson Beck in the two games without him, 550-plus yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. So, uh, yeah, I think they're just fine without Brock Bowers. They'd love to have him back. Not saying they would have loved to have him back. But what I am saying is they, they are doing just fine without him. As far as the game is concerned, listen, you know, I I think they're going to be able to move the ball through the air. Uh, Ole Miss, that pass defense has been not very good, bluntly. They haven't played a lot of great pass offenses when you think about it. And when they have, they've gotten torched. LSU torched them. How about this? Max Johnson. I'm not a fan of Max uh, from Texas A&M. He kind of torched them last week. And so I think Carson Beck, it's going to be much the same. If I did have to make an official pick on this game, I mean, I can't bet against Georgia, right? And, and you know, this was one in the preseason. Like I said, I thought Ole Miss might be able to win. Am I going to do it? I don't know. I'll say, let me say this. My official best bet in this game is the over. I think Ole Miss is able to put up 30 plus points. I think Georgia's defense is tested in a way that it hasn't been since the, uh, since the Ohio State game in the college football playoff a year ago. I also think that bluntly, um, Georgia is going to be able to move the ball pretty much at will. So if I had to make a best bet, I would actually say I like the over. Um, I want to pick Ole Miss so bad because this was the game I had circled in the preseason, but I just can't do it. I mean, Georgia's just so good, so convincing, so confident. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a wimp. I'm gonna be a chicken. I'm gonna be a. I can't do it. I can't bet against Georgia. What are you out of your mind? So go ahead and give me Georgia winning, Ole Miss covering. I do like Ole Miss to cover the plus eleven. 
And I do like the over to hit. Give me Georgia 38, Ole Miss 31. I like the cover and I like the over in this game. All right, everybody. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears. And so we obviously just talked about the two mega games, top 10 matchups between Michigan and Penn State, Georgia and Ole Miss. What I want to do now is go out west and talk about two mega games in their own right in the Pac-12. So the Pac-12, listen, I, I think we've all conceded the Pac-12 is a two-team race. Uh, you know, Washington undefeated in the league, undefeated overall. Washington or Oregon sitting at eight and one with the only loss to Washington. And I think we've all kind of thought, okay, you know what? We're you know we're just going to get those two in the conference championship game. Oregon with one loss, Washington undefeated. Winner goes to the college football playoff. What I don't think people realize, we are one loss away from Oregon, from having absolute chaos in the standings, because right now there are four teams with two losses in the Pac-12 that if Oregon were to get tripped up, then we get chaos, okay? So the four teams that are tied in the loss column in the Pac-12 behind Washington atop, Oregon, from there, USC, Utah, uh, Oregon State, and how about this? The Arizona Wildcats, shout out to Jed Fish's crew, uh, are all tied in the loss column with two losses apiece. And so I bring it up because I want to get into two mega Pac-12 games that I think will both will both very much shape the, uh, the the standings and who ends up in Vegas for that Pac-12 championship game. And ultimately, if we get that Washington-Oregon rematch that so many people want to see. So let's get into it. Uh, and obviously, the, the, the one that feels bigger, even though the other one actually in some ways is bigger, it is, of course, the USC Trojans traveling to Oregon to take on the Oregon Ducks. How about this? Oregon, a 15-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. The over-under set at 73.5. By now, I think we all know the narrative on both these teams, and, and that's the good part about getting to this point in the year. You don't need me to tell you what teams are, what they do well, what they don't do well. And for USC, obviously a, a, a wild week last week, right? You lose to Washington. I don't think they get like, – like we focus so much on the defense – I thought Caleb Williams played his absolute heart out, 27 of 32 passing, three touchdowns, 312 yards, another rushing touchdown. But because the defense was so bad, because they end up losing the game, that ends up being the focus, and obviously Alex Grinch is let go on Sunday. All I could say about that, we talked about it on the Aaron Torres pod. There's not really much to add here. It had to be done. Um, you go back and look at the defensive performances. Like sometimes in life, right, like sometimes – we get a little hyperbolic about stuff. We over-exaggerate how good or bad or whatever things are. USC's defense is as bad as you think it was. Last six games under Alex Grinch, here are the point totals that they gave up. This is going to blow your mind. Gave up 41 to Colorado, 41 to Arizona, 48 to Notre Dame, 34 to Utah, 49 to Cal, 52 last week to Washington. So five of his last six games, they gave up 40-plus. Put up a gave up a 50 burger to Washington. He had to go, but I give Lincoln Riley credit. Um, I, I know it was many weeks, if not a year too late, but he has sold all week. Listen, we still have a lot to play for. We could compete for a Pac-12 championship. That's why I did this. If there was nothing left to play for, I would have just kind of rode out the rest of the season and figured it out. We still have a lot to play for. We needed a new voice. This is why I made the decision. So USC will obviously have a new defensive coordinator uh this week. And as far as Oregon's concerned, like we we know the narrative, right? They're awesome. Um, I, I think they're right up there with Michigan, maybe Florida State, as in my opinion, the most complete teams in college football. I'm sure Georgia's a little bit in that mix as well. Oregon does pretty much everything well. Number one scoring offense in college football, number two total offense in college football, uh, top 20 defense. And I think the defense, part of why those numbers are so low as being a top 20 defense, they're just on the field so much because the offense scores so quick. They run the ball well. They pass the ball well. They actually, this is kind of an amazing stat because we, we remember Bo Nix from the Auburn days. You know, Oregon has the fewest turnovers this season in college football, four total turnovers the entire year. Um, if I had to bet right now, I would bet Bo Nix to win the Heisman. I was in Vegas a few weeks ago. The odds were already so low, I didn't do it. Uh, but I just bring it up because this is a real complete football team. They get after the quarterback. Really good team. And I think, you know, listen, if they are to survive and they're to survive this game, I think they match up well with Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think they match up well with anybody that they would potentially play in the college football playoff. Now, in terms of Saturday, I'll say this. 
I do see the scenario where this ends up being close, and, and it's for a few reasons. One, again, I, I do think because it's USC, because uh, there was so much talk about the, the defense and how bad it was, and rightfully so, Again, I don't think people realize like this offense still has been very good. This is the number two scoring offense in all of college football this year. Okay. Like, I think we think because USC is seven and three, because the defense is a disaster, it means that Caleb Williams is some abject disaster. Now, maybe he's not quite as crisp as he was last year 28 touchdowns, four interceptions. Basically, they all came in that one Notre Dame game. His completion percentage is actually up from a year ago. USC is averaging close to like 47, 48 points per game. And I do sit there and say like 15 points feels like a lot on the road. It's going to be a night game at Outson. I get it. But at the same time, like, like, let's just think about this out loud here. They're putting up 45 points a game. Now, admittedly, this is the best defense that they'll have played outside of Utah. But at the same time, if, if their defense, USC's defense is just a little bit better, like, you know, they're putting up 40 plus points. If the defense is giving up, you know, 37 instead of 47 a game, that completely changes the trajectory of their season. Listen, the offense has basically had one bad game the entire year, and they've played a lot of good defenses. They still put up, put up 30 plus on Utah. They actually moved the ball decently against Notre Dame. They just kept turning the ball over. Um, so I, I just bring it up to say, I, I don't think this team is that far off. I also think, again, I said it a minute ago, I think Lincoln Riley's done a good job of convincing this team. You still have a lot to play for. They win this game. They are in position to go to the Pac-12 championship game. It sounds crazy because it feels like all they've done is lose the last three or four weeks. But remember, one of those losses was to Notre Dame out of conference. They obviously have a tiebreaker over Arizona right now. They would have a tiebreaker over Oregon right now. And we'll see what happens with the Utah-Washington game, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But basically, all USC needs to do to go to the Pac-12 championship game win this week, win next week against UCLA, excuse me. And if Utah takes one more loss, they're going to the Pac-12 championship game over Oregon. Finally, let me just say this, and this isn't a a, a betting take or perspective. Doesn't weird stuff always happen to Oregon, though, this time of year? Like, Oregon fans don't want to hear it. I get it. I wouldn't want to hear it if I was you either. But at the same time, Oregon kind of has a history of taking weird, bad losses at the worst possible time in November. I don't think people realize you understand that three out of the last four years, take out the COVID year of 2020 when everything was chaotic, especially on the West coast, 2019, 2021, 2022, Oregon in all three of those years went into November where if they won out, they were playing, they were going to the college football playoff. And every single year they took a weird loss. 2019, they take that weird loss at Arizona State. That was when Justin Herbert was on the team. Herm Edwards was the coach at Arizona State. So they lose. Um, you know, 2021, that was the year they got boat raced at Utah uh, and then got boat raced again in the conference championship game and what was ultimately Mario Cristobal's last year. And then, of course, last year they end up losing that game at home to Washington late in the year. So I just say, like, I, I can't predict – Oregon to lose this game because I think they are the more complete team but if that USC defense is just a tiny bit better it changes everything for them and weird stuff does happen to Oregon in November I'll say Utah 40 or uh, excuse me Oregon 41 USC 37 Oregon wins I think USC covers I think this is a fun competitive game it's a 10 30 Eastern tip off or kickoff so be ready to stay up late Let's get to the other one in the in the the other big one in the Pac-12. And we've mentioned it. It's Utah at Washington. Washington, a nine and a half point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. The over-under set at 51. Um, and I I just laid it out. Washington, we know their scenario. Went out and they're in. Utah right now, they need some help to get to the Pac-12 championship game. I think all things considered, Utah's actually doing about as well as you could expect with a third string quarterback for the entire year. They're sitting right now overall at at seven and two overall, um, but they need some help to get to the Pac-12 championship game. They obviously would have a tiebreaker over USC if USC gets a, if USC is somehow in position, but they also fall behind Oregon because Oregon, of course, um, you know, took care of them pretty pretty heartily. So Utah, very interesting position. Washington, we know what they got to do. They got to win out. And the cool thing about this game, like. Again, this is the fun part of being in week 10, week 11, week 12. 
You know these teams. You know who they are. You know their strengths. You know their weaknesses. We don't have to spend a ton of time breaking it down. Washington with elite offense. Utah with elite defense. Now, from the Washington perspective, a couple things stand out from last week with USC. One, the offense certainly got going after a couple weeks where they had really struggled. Struggled against Arizona State, had had zero offensive touchdowns against Arizona State. Uh, took care of business against Stanford, but that was a game that was very close going into the fourth quarter before they pulled away. Well, nothing like nothing to get you right on offense like uh, like going up against USC's defense under Alex Grinch, fifty two points. But the big story was the balance that they had in that game running the football. Everybody knows the stats by now, but Dylan Johnson had a record setting night, uh, two hundred fifty six yards of of rushing offense for him. Uh, Overall, over 300 yards rushing. I believe the stat on Dylan Johnson was 190 yards before contact. Like he was getting six yards a pop before anybody touched him. So, um, great effort from them on offense. I do. There, there was something that stood out to me though. Everybody sat there all, all all Saturday night into Sunday. Oh, USC, their defense is so terrible. It's like, and it was. It was really bad. How come nobody talked about the fact that Washington's defense isn't very good either? And that's my thought coming into this game. Washington, like Oregon is a complete team, right? Like, like, like Washington beat Oregon, but Oregon plays on both sides of the football. Washington was just better that day. Washington has not been good on defense all year, 102nd nationally in total defense. Now, I don't know if it'll matter against Utah. Utah is the exact opposite. Utah, this is yin and yang to the extreme in this game. Utah, of course, great, great, great defense. Credit to Kyle Whittingham. They're the same team every year. Not too hot, not too cold. Stay confident, fundamentally sound, all that good stuff. Overall, second best defense in the Pac-12 uh, in terms of total defense behind only uh, behind only UCLA. Uh, they, I take that back. They're actually the, the, the top defense ahead of UCLA. UCLA is number one rush defense, Utah number two. One thing that concerns me a little bit going into this game, the Utah pass defense um, has been phenomenal. So if you're Washington and you're just banking on Michael Penix bouncing back, Utah has the number one pass defense in the Pac-12, allowing just 201 yards per game through the air. Uh, and also think it's worth noting eight interceptions, which is tied for the second most in this league. Only UCLA has more. And so as we start to look at this game, I mean, I think this is a, a, a very simple who do you trust more? Do you trust Washington's uh, offense? Do you trust U U Utah's defense? Do you believe that Utah can score enough points to make this interesting? It's an interesting matchup. The game is in Seattle. Uh, it's a 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 kickoff type game. My hunch is that I lean Washington, but I don't feel good about it. This is one, you know, I always say on this college football betting show, like I, 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 don't, I don't pick games that I don't believe in and that I'm not betting myself. This is one I I just I, I can't pick because on the one hand, like if if Washington breaks a couple big plays and they got the receivers to do it, the skill position guys to do it, the run game's coming along, um, you know, it could be 17-3 before anybody blinks and the game's over. We saw that when Utah played Oregon a few weeks ago. Oregon just busted a few big plays. Utah doesn't have the dudes to kind of keep up. But at the same time, I I, I do wonder a couple things. One Washington's offense has not been great the last couple weeks. Last week, they did have over 500 yards of total offense. That was thanks to the USC defense. But the previous three weeks, we talked about it. They were outgained by Stanford. They won. Outgained by Arizona State. They won. Outgained by Oregon. And they won. And I know that there's like trends. I think, who is it? Maybe the Philadelphia Eagles. There's somebody in the NFL that's constantly outgained and still finds ways to win games. I don't know if you can keep doing that at the college level, especially when your defense isn't good. Now, it's one thing if like your defense is elite and your offense is kind of up and down, but their defense has been susceptible to big plays, big games, you know, like like I know I know uh, uh, Utah's quarterbacks are not on the equivalent of Bo Nix and Caleb Williams, but at the same time, they have given up a lot of big plays, a lot of yards, a lot of points over the last month. And I do think at some point it catches up with them. So ultimately, this is a total stay away. I could see the scenario where Washington plays really well. If I had to lean, probably take Utah plus the points. The other thing that I think is at least worth noting, Michael Penix has been very good. I don't think he's been like elite, elite, elite over the last couple of weeks. Go back to his last couple of games, okay? Last week, he was great. 
that was very much aided by the run game being awesome. Week before, 21 of 37 against Stanford. Now, he did have four touchdown passes, but that's 57% completion percentage, 27 of 42, 64% against Arizona State. And then Oregon, he had under uh, 60% completion percentage as well. So he's been a little bit up and down. I still think Washington finds a way to win this game, but I'll go back on what I said, what I said about the Oregon game a few minutes ago. This is the time of year. Weird stuff ends up happening. My hunch is Washington wins. But I mean, would it surprise anybody if Utah goes to Washington and ends up winning this game? Talk about a chaotic situation that would cause, uh, and certainly it would obviously set up even more stakes for Washington the rest of the year. Not going to pick it, but I would lean Wash- I would lean Utah covering the points. All right, so what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. We will recap the rest of the college football weekend. Start with that big Tennessee-Missouri game. Uh, from there, we'll go to some of the other big games, Kentucky-Alabama, some of the big games in the Big 12, Texas at TCU. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's get to the rest of the week 11 games. You know, I'll be blunt. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of really intriguing games left on the schedule. And it's unfortunate because there are a lot of games that are marred by injuries. We'll get to some of them in a minute. Um, because some of the games that look great and feel big are pseudo unbettable because of some injury uncertainty going in. We'll get to those to wrap the show. But there is another top 25 matchup that we absolutely need to discuss. It comes in the SEC as Tennessee travels to Missouri, two top 25 teams, two two-loss teams at this point in the year. Uh, the spread, Tennessee is now a, a, a one-and-a-half-point favorite. They were a one-point favorite as of about Tuesday morning. So the money's coming in on Tennessee, the over-under set at 58-and-a-half. couple thoughts here. One, for those of you who are desperate for a 12-team college football playoff, a year from now, this would be a game that's kind of that fringe, kind of like a bubble game, which would be kind of cool to think about. But beyond that, let me also say this, is that um, this game actually does have real implications for the SEC title race, and it's because of what we talked about with the Georgia Ole Miss game. I think everybody has just presumed that Alabama and Georgia are playing in the SEC championship game. No, 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 no. As of right now, neither team has officially clinched. And in the East, we actually have a very fascinating scenario. If Tennessee wins on Saturday at Missouri, they're a one and a half point favorite. We're going to preview the game in a minute. And if Georgia loses to Ole Miss next week, that sets up a de facto SEC East championship game on Rocky Top next week. So basically, if Georgia loses to Ole Miss, if Tennessee beats Missouri, both of those teams will go into next weekend essentially playing for the SEC East title. Now, in theory, Tennessee still has Vanderbilt after that, so maybe something crazy happens there. But for the most part, this is a big game with big implications, especially for Tennessee, as they are still very much in the SEC title race. Now, in terms of this game itself, listen, we'll get back to Tennessee in a minute. But I just mentioned Georgia. They, of course, beat Missouri last week. And Missouri, this is just a bad break on the schedule. And the reason being, they're really beat up after the Georgia game. You know, this kind of feels like a body blow game. I mentioned a minute ago about all the injuries across college football. Well, Missouri is dealing with as many as anybody in the sport right now, okay? So first off, Luther Burden, their star wide receiver, really unfortunate. He gets hurt in the second half of that Georgia game. It felt like it was competitive, and it just felt like Missouri could not make any major moves once he left the game. Beyond that, Eli Drinkwitz talked about it this week. Brady Cook, pro- you know, these guys are probably going to play, but are nowhere near 100%. Brady Cook, the starting quarterback. Uh, Theo Wees, the second leading receiver behind uh, behind Luther Burden. And then also Cody Schrader, the star running back, they're all banged up going into this week. We don't fully know their statuses, although we expect them to play. And then you counter that with Tennessee. Let me say this. It pains me as a UConn alum because Tennessee played UConn last week and Tennessee basically treated it like a, 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 an exhibition game. You know, they had, they, they, there was a bunch of players that were hurt that all sat out. Josh Heupel basically said, yeah, you know, he he gave the old, uh, if we needed him, we could have had him play, but we decided to rest him, which was like a knife through my heart when he said that, but it worked out well for them. They're actually probably about as healthy as you possibly can be going into a huge two game stretch here in the back end of the season. Obviously again, with at Missouri and then Georgia at home this week. 
And so when I look at this game, a fully healthy Tennessee, a banged up Missouri, I just think this is a bad spot for Missouri, right? Missouri, I have been impressed by them all year. They started out 7-1 and one overall. But now you're going uh, back home after the Georgia game. And I think there's this presumption if you're not a college football diehard. Well, you know, Tennessee, you know, they're they're kind of a finesse past the football. No, no, no. Tennessee is a line of scrimmage football team this year. Leading rushing offense in the SEC this year. It sounds crazy. It's not Alabama. It's not Georgia. It's not Kentucky with Ray Davis who leads the SEC in rushing. It's actually Tennessee. And they have a top 20 uh, defense as well. Their defensive line gets after you. And so for Missouri, banged up coming out of the Georgia game, I just think this is a bad matchup at a bad time. Now, the good thing is Missouri in general has been a pretty good run defense this year. That is how you cut off the head of the snake against Tennessee. Make Joe Milton make plays with his arm. But I'm just not sure that's something that will happen in this game. As far as an official pick, I do like Tennessee to cover the one and a half. They're healthier. I like the matchup for them. Um, obviously you're on the road. It's a big CBS game. The crowd's going to be great in Columbia, but I just think if you had to play this game, this is the time to do it. Missouri is far from a hundred percent. Um, you are close to a hundred percent, as I've said a few times now and Missouri, look, the past defense is good, but it's not elite by any stretch. So, you know, if you take away some of the run game, I still think Joe Milton can make plays, go ahead and give me Tennessee to win and cover the one and a half. Let's stay in the SEC really quickly um, because there is another game, once again, with SEC championship game implications. And we just talked about it in the East. Everybody thinks Georgia's basically already clinched. No, 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 no. If Georgia's got to beat Ole Miss to take care of business, Alabama, I don't think a lot of people realize. So Alabama goes to Kentucky. Alabama's a 10.5-point favorite in the DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, The over-under in that game is 46. And as we said a minute ago with Ole Miss, I don't think people realize Alabama has not clinched the SEC West. Now they will clinch it with a win here. They will clinch it with, uh, if they were to somehow lose to Kentucky and Ole Miss were to win or, or to lose to Georgia, then they would clinch. The only way Alabama isn't going to Atlanta, they would have to lose to both Kentucky and Auburn um, and Ole Miss would have to win out. But I bring it up to say oh, Alabama has not clinched yet. They go on the road to Kentucky. As I said, a 10 and a half point favorite. Listen, as far as Alabama's concerned, we've talked so much about it on this show, on the Aaron Torres pod. I think Nick Saban's done as good of a coaching job this year as he has done at any point in his career. The bottom line remains straightforward, pretty simple, is that, listen, this team has evolved and changed over the course of the year. I think they thought they were going to have more of a vertical passing game early in the season. It didn't work out. It wasn't going to be. The receivers weren't there. The pass blocking wasn't there. That's not who Jalen Milrow is. So they have turned Jalen Milrow into a beast who can run the football like he did last week against LSU, four rushing touchdowns, 155 yards. They use him, um, you know, I think smartly in the pass game where they use him enough where he's a threat, but it's not overwhelming. But he seems to be gaining confidence every single week in his own abilities. We talked about it on the Aaron Torres pod on Monday. There was one play where he he rolled out to the left, looked like he was going to pass it, froze the defense against LSU and then bolted into the end zone for a touchdown. And I said, that dude is swaggy. That dude is confident. That dude very clearly believes in himself. Now, what I will say, Kentucky, very good uh, rush defense, which I do think plays a role here, right? You want to slow down Alabama, take away Jalen Milrow, take away the run game, make him pass the ball, kind of like what we just said with Joe Millen. At the same time, there's enough other issues with Kentucky I just can't see them winning this game. One, you know, credit to them. They took care of business last week against Mississippi State, but under 300 yards of total offense in that game, it's not as though they, they, you know, they they score 24 points, great win, get bowl eligible. I'm not trying to tear them down, but 271 yards of total offense, 161 yards passing, uh, and they ran the ball pretty effectively. Don't think you're going to run the ball effectively. This Alabama defense is elite. And Devin Leary, while he's gotten better over the course of the year and certainly had a a good game a few weeks ago against Tennessee, he's still far from elite and still really, um, you know, just hasn't been as effective as any of us thought. And so you can't be one dimensional against this Alabama defense. And more importantly, this Alabama defense is just so good after the break. And this is what stood out. I've put out these stats. It remains incredible. 
in their four biggest games to date in conference. So take out the Texas game. But remember, by the way, Texas, they were they Alabama had the lead going into the fourth quarter against Texas, and then the defense just wore down from being on the field too much. In Alabama's four biggest games in SEC play this year, that would be uh that would be Ole Miss at home. Remember, Ole Miss top 10 team at AM, Tennessee, LSU. So three top 25 teams at home plus at AM. Alabama in those four games has given up a combined 13 second half points in those four games. That to me is unbelievable. 13 combined second half points over eight quarters against the best competition that you faced in the SEC. Three top three top 25 teams. By the way, last week, LSU, and I know there was the Jaden Daniels, Dallas Turner stuff in the second half, um, but Jaden, they, they scored on the first drive and, and they couldn't move the ball after that with all those receivers, all those skill position guys, et cetera. And so I bring it up. I think this Alabama game goes like every other Alabama game does. I think it's pretty close at the half. 7-7, 10-10, 10-7, something like that. And then Alabama's just going to wear on you. Alabama's going to do what they do. And I think Alabama wins this game something like 24-10. to 10. I do like Alabama to win and cover. Let's wrap with a couple other games. You know, we'll stay in the SEC. Uh, first of all, this was at one point, one of the great rivalries in all of college football, LSU hosting Florida, like shows you kind of how far Florida has fallen, that this game is just completely off the radar. Florida and L- as in Baton Rouge, LSU is a 13 and a half point favorite. couple things here. Um, one, we don't know the status of Jaden Daniels. And so because of it, I'm not betting it. The line seems to indicate to me that he is going to play was in non-contact drills uh, in the middle of the week here on a Wednesday. Doesn't guarantee that he's going to play but obviously that's a pretty good sign. Um, but to me, it's a stay away. I think if, if Jaden Daniels was healthy, oh, I'd take LSU to win by 30. But I just don't know. Garrett Nussmeyer, there's obviously not that much of a drop-off, but it's enough where I just, I'm just going to spend my money elsewhere. Florida, Florida's not good, man. Like Florida is, they're, they're just not good. Um, I think the Tennessee game threw everybody for a loop early in the season. We said, oh, maybe they're not that bad. No, they, here are their wins. The, the Tennessee win was great. But outside of that, Florida's beaten McNeese State. Florida has beaten Vanderbilt. Florida has beaten South Carolina in a game where they had to rally late in the game. And they've beaten Charlotte, okay? Lost last week to Arkansas at home. And, and it's a that's a crippling loss for Florida. Because now your final three are at LSU this weekend, at Missouri next week, and, and, and Florida State to end the regular season. Those are three top 25 teams, three top 20 teams. You got to win one to get bowl eligible. I know Billy Napier, it's been an uphill battle. If you can't get bowl eligible in year two, when you started, by the way, they started five and two. Now they're five and four. That Arkansas loss was crippling to them, uh, but it's a total stay away to me. Will not be betting it. Uh, staying in the SEC, Texas A&M, an 18 and a half point favorite against Mississippi State over under set at 43 in the DraftKings Sportsbook. I will take um I'll take Texas AM's I'll take the under. I, I Texas AM, listen, I've been a Jimbo apologist for years. Texas AM shouldn't be a three possession favorite against anybody in the SEC. Not Vanderbilt, not Mississippi State, not whatever. Now maybe they maybe they win in cover, but this is a team two weeks ago against a bad South Carolina team needed a garbage time touchdown late to put the game away. I know Ole Miss, they sort of looked good. They were they were always behind, always playing catch up. I, I I didn't see anything from them in a narrow loss to 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 Ole Miss that made me feel like okay, they're finally figuring it out. Max Johnson ain't the guy. They don't trust him. I do like the under though because that defense is elite. Um, and oh by the way, credit to Texas A and M. They will get bowl eligible with this win if they get the victory. Uh, they will play Abilene Christian next week. Then it sets up an interesting one to end the season. They would go to LSU to end the regular season. Jimbo has yet to beat a ranked team on the road. I'm not saying he needs that win to keep his job because that money is just so big. But man, oh man, would it be bad? Would it be bad? If if Jimbo, I will say, if Jimbo loses this game, that's when Ross Bjork has to start making some phone calls. Because if you can't beat Mississippi State, third string quarterback, backup quarterback, no Will Rogers, it's really bad. Other SEC game, uh, first of all, South Carolina Vanderbilt will not, I guess I can't say we're not going to acknowledge it because I did just acknowledge it. Um, very interesting line. We'll not be betting this one. 
Auburn at Arkansas. Arkansas, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Arkansas, of course, coming off that win at Florida. Very clear that with Kenny Guyton calling plays, there is a newfound trust in this Arkansas offense. The Arkansas defense has been pretty good all year. So them being a two-and-a-half-point favorite seems to indicate that Vegas believes in Kenny Guyton, will not be betting that game. I would probably lean Arkansas. Then a couple other ones. You know, listen, total bummer. Um, Miami, Florida State, another game like LSU, Florida, that used to be a an incredible rivalry. Miami's uh, or Florida State's a 15-point favorite in this game. I don't think you can bet it, though. Florida State's injury ravaged right now. Florida State's interesting. They had a very early buy. I think it was the last week of September they had a buy. And so this is like their seventh straight week that they're playing a game. They're starting to get beat up again. They're trying to get to the finish line. They have North Alabama next week. So hopefully you can rest some guys. But I can't bet this game. Keon Coleman didn't play last week. Johnny Wilson hasn't played in a while. Those are their two-star receivers. Total stay away to me. Um, Speaking of total stay away, Texas minus 10 at TCU. That line feels fishy as you know what. Texas, I said it on the Aaron Torres pod this week. If Quinn Ewers does not get healthy, I don't believe that Texas can win out and go to the college football playoff. Good news. Sark kind of hinted that things might be moving along nicely. Basically said, um, basically said like uh, something to the effect of, uh, you know, of uh, like he's gone from day to day, from week to week to day to day. Still don't think he'll play. TCU can put up points in a hurry now. Would not be surprised if TCU keeps it close, maybe even an upset. That is a night game in Fort Worth. Um, And finally, uh, what else was I going to get to? What was the other big game that I wanted to talk about? By the way, Arizona, 10.5-point favorite at Colorado. That's an 11 local time start, uh, 1 o'clock Pacific time, uh, you know, Pac-12 network. Arizona's won three straight against uh, ranked teams. I will not be betting that one at all. I'm trying to think of what else. There was one other game I wanted to get. Tell you what, you want to talk about a fishy line. Oklahoma State, a two and a half point favorite at Central Florida. Just feels weird to me. Just feels weird. Feels like this should be uh, much bigger. Oklahoma State, of course, controls its own destiny in the Big 12 title race. Stay away. Obviously would lean Oklahoma State. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the College Football Betting Podcast. Uh, Thank you all for your support. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, people, get over to YouTube. Click that like button. Help your boy Torres out. Um, What else? Uh, Leave a rating and review. That really would help. Tell a friend. That really would help. I think that's it. Great week 11 slate. The playoff picture is starting to form. We'll be back to preview week 12 next week. Hope you enjoy the big games. Hope you enjoy everything. We'll be back.